Hello and welcome to The Long View, a podcast that takes a closer look at the games people play. The Long View is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, so go to Dicetower.com and see all that they have to offer. There's great news and reviews and all of the sister podcasts in the Dice Tower Network, so there's surely something there for everyone. Go check them out. That's Dicetower.com. The Long View is generously sponsored by GameSurplus.com. Go and see what makes Game Surplus so special. For me, it's their incredible selection of imports and hard-to-find games, as well as the newest, latest, and greatest. It's their customer service, attention to detail, shipping, and pricing. All of these things come together to make GameSurplus.com an unparalleled online shopping experience. So, if you're trying to find a game, send an email to Velma at games at GameSurplus.com and tell her what you're looking for, and she'll be sure to track it down. That's the kind of attention and care you'll get from Game Surplus. I also want to send a shout-out to my local game store, The Gamer's Edge, in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. It's conveniently located off of Interstate 80, so if you're in the northern PA, uh, southern New York, uh, northern New Jersey region, um, hop on over Interstate 80 and get off at Main Street in Stroudsburg. There's tons of great shops and restaurants and things to do, but most importantly, there's a game store. So go and check it out. They have a huge selection of games and a friendly staff and tons of open space. Whether you're looking for board games, card games, collectible card games, whether you're looking for video games, vintage video games, comic books, they have it all. That's the Gamer's Edge in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. My name is Jeff Gamble. I'm the host of The Long View, and today I am very pleased to be joined by two special guests. Um, first up, of, of course, I have uh, Lloyd Keller with me today, who's going to be joining us uh, here for a long view instead of a quick look. So, Lloyd, welcome. Thanks for having me, and I promise not to do anything weird. Now, I think that's pretty much uh, an impossibility for you, but uh, thanks for making the offer. It's really the thought I'll, that counts. I'll give it a try. <laughs> and I'm most especially pleased to be joined by a first-time contributor uh, who wrote in um, and said, hey, um, how about talking about one of my favorite games? And that would be Will Beckley. So, Will, thank you very much for agreeing to be on the show today. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure, and uh, Will was kind enough to respond to uh, kind of that call for action that uh, I throw out there every once in a while, saying, hey, instead of hoping that someone does an episode about your favorite game, why not you? And so uh, Will was nice enough to write in and say he would like to talk about one of his uh, favorite games, which is a relatively new title, but one that he has explored quite a bit, and one that Lloyd and I have had the chance to play quite a bit as well. So I thought this would make a nice fit. So the game we're going to be talking about today is Food Chain Magnate. Uh, this is a game that is uh, designed by Yarun and Yoris um, over at Splatter. Um, this is a Splatter spelling game, and this is um, probably, well, this is their most recent game, and I would argue that this is probably their biggest sort of breakout game. This is a game that made quite a splash when it came out. Uh, those who are familiar with splatter games uh, like Antiquity or Indonesia or more recently the Great Zimbabwe know that these uh, this design house is kind of noted for its heavy games, economic games often primarily, and um, they're, they're almost like a boutique kind of a designer. They're very difficult to get. They do small print runs and uh, people really kind of seek after these games. They're often what are identified as grail games on uh, a lot of people's wish lists. 
Um, that being said, I've spent a lot of time and money chasing down splatter titles uh, that we've explored. Uh, Lloyd, you and I have played like Antiquity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played Indonesia, even though you almost rage quit that. I did rage quit it. You did. Well, you didn't wait. You you played. You just kind of crossed your I arms just, and, and I passed. passed every turn. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so. You know, we've played quite a few of these titles. Great Zimbabwe, you and I played. That was a really fascinating game. Um, And then comes along Food Chain. And this is a game that is kind of taking a little bit of that almost deck-building sort of genre, uh, uh, some tableau building. Uh, It's primarily... A sort of a, a card-based game, I would argue, with a, a little bit of a reference that you're going to need in a, in a sort of board space that's going to represent neighborhoods. Um, and it is all about um, running restaurants. Basically, you're trying to get drinks and food and advertise and attract customers in the local neighborhood to come and spend their money at your establishment rather than your opponent's establishments. And so... Everything about this game kind of, I think, hit at the right time. Um, There's been a a recent resurgence, I would say, in heavy games. You look at games like Arkwright, and and there's been some heavier Euros. You look at uh, Panamax and Madeira, and uh, these games that that have been much more on the heavier side um, after, I'd say, a little bit of popularity with shorter kind of games and maybe games that would be uh, classified as midweights. Um, Food Chain Magnate kind of hit... And boy, it has been a hit. Uh, it was nominated for Golden Geek Awards left and right, I think. Uh, game of the Year nominee, Best Strategy Game nominee, Most Innovative Game nominee. Um, it just won the Golden Elephant uh, for those guys over there at Heavy Cardboard. Uh, and apparently, uh, Yarun was out there uh, and uh, hung out with them and, and played some games as well. So that must have been fun for them, I imagine. So this is a game that really kind of caught my attention. And for once, it was going to be kind of available, which kind of was shocking to me. Um, Splatter games have been getting a little easier to get recently. So that's kind of uh, you know what got my interest peaked in the game was the subject matter, the deck building, the tableau building. Um, and the, the playtime was relatively short for a splatter game. I thought, okay, this looks cool. So that's kind of my backstory with it and a little bit of my backstory with splatter in general. Will, what was it about this game that really kind of attracted you, grabbed your attention, and made you want to check it out? Well, my, I guess it was the theme that really uh, grabbed my attention. My dad uh, used to work uh, McDonald's corporate, actually, when I was first born, uh, and um, hearing his stories about the industry, always, uh, I've always had a fascination with it. Well, I imagine so, because that's kind of almost exactly what they're trying to model here, with the exception that McDonald's does not sell beer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we could only wish. Uh, exactly. Um, so, all right. So that, that, the theme kind of grabbed you. Um, are you, would you describe yourself as like a, a heavy gamer or a splatter fan? Or was this like your first splatter title? Uh, you know, what would you say about all that? Uh, this was actually my first uh, experience with splatter. I had actually had sort of a negative connotation about them that I, I really can't explain. Um, back from when roads and boats first came out, uh, reading about it. Um, and so I, I'd kind of avoided them intentionally, uh, but this game grabbed me, and, and now I, I really seek out uh, as many of their games as I can get my hands on. 
So what was that negative? You, you know, I got to pick at this, Will. So what was the negative connotation? <laughs> was it was it the uh, unroll the plastic sheet on the the board and write on it? Was it you know what what was the negative connotation? I wish I could say that it was as informed as that. <laughs> um, I, I honestly think that uh, it was the four hour playtime. Yeah, um, and even though everyone who had actually played the game seemed to have a very high opinion of it. Um, I saw that four hour playtime and I thought that just seems ponderous and stupid. I could play four games in that time. Uh, so, well, you're not alone there. A lot of people feel that way about longer games. It's why they don't get into some of the heavier games or the 18 XX games or, or something of that nature, uh, because of the playtime. Um, it's a legitimate concern. Um, you know, and, and there is that kind of thought, uh, as you said, of, hey, I can play four games and the time it takes me to play this one. Why wouldn't I do that? Um, well, the reason you wouldn't do that is because sometimes you find a game that just resonates with you. Um, you know, for example, um, you know, Lloyd and I played uh, Antiquity, really enjoy that game. Uh, he hated Indonesia. Yes, um, I did. I loved it. He hated it. Um, so, you know, but yeah, those those long kind of games uh, seem to offer a, a depth in strategy um, and a more sort of considered and deeper kind of playing experience than four of those one hour games. Now, in more recent times, we've kind of, I think, shifted away from the heavier games and kind of gone to more middleweight games. But uh, now I'd say we're kind of swinging back towards the heavier games. I think about uh, a lot of newer games like uh, you know Panamax and uh, Madeira and Nippon and Signore and, and some of these other games um, that have come out that, that are just a little bit heavier, a little bit, uh, a little bit more meat on the bones. And so this game, I think, though, occupies a very unique space, and that's because it delivers a lot of depth and a lot of punch, but the playing time, you know, they have listed as, you know, two to four hours. But I would say most of the time, depending on the number of players you're playing with, it's probably in that two to three hour range once everybody knows what they're doing. And so it's a splatter that does play in a pretty darn reasonable playtime. And so that definitely is something that caught my attention as well. So, all right, playtime was an issue with you with splatter titles and heavy games in general in the past. But this one, because of the theme, it kind of drew you in. Now, my picking at you about the, the question of, well, what didn't you like about splatter? I thought you were going to go the traditional route, which was talking about components. Um, splatter is not really known for having fantastic components. Um, I, you know, I think about antiquity and the thousands of little chits that are in that and like half of them are miscut you know they're they're off center they're uh not super attractive to look at the color palette's very bland and kind of muted indonesia has you know a board that can be challenging to play with because it's not really laid out super clearly uh the components don't fit on it in in many cases um and food chain magnate um, when I saw that one, I was like, ooh, okay, you know, this really looks uh, nice. I, I thought about those player aids, which look like menus. They're fantastic. And all of the different cards that you get in the game representing different employees, wonderful. And then I looked at the grid that represents the city. I'm like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I kind of, you know, have 
a little bit of mixed feelings about Splatter when it comes to their graphic design sometimes and their components. Um, but once I started playing it, I kind of appreciated uh, a little bit of that bland grid because uh, it's really important not so much what the grid is depicting, but um, what's happening on the grid and where things are and the location. And, and, and it needs to be clear. And so like Dominant Species, the first edition, I think it's kind of almost intentionally bland mm -hmm. so that everything that you're doing kind of stands out. Would you agree with that, Will? I would. I, I actually think that uh, if you busied it up much at all, it would uh, it would be to the detriment of the game. I think that no matter how complicated the game state gets, you can always just glance at the board and pretty much see what's happening. I also think that if you're looking at the empty board, uh, you're, you're seeing the board kind of in a state that it's not really meant to be seen for very long. Mm -hmm. um, and once it's populated with the, the wonderful little wooden uh, goods counters and houses and uh, everything that you can fill the board with, I, I actually think that it looks terrific. Yeah, I, I think I would agree. Um, from a readability standpoint and gameplay standpoint, I think it's important to keep it clean. And all of the other components, you know, you mentioned the little wood resource tokens for the drinks and the burgers and the pizzas and all that. They're great fun, uh, just tactilely and, and visually when, when you start playing the game. So uh, I would agree wholeheartedly with that as well. All right, so this is a game that kind of uh, came out to uh, a good amount of uh, fanfare. A lot of positive regard, nominated for a lot of awards. Um, and so uh, this is one that I kind of picked up and uh, was a little intimidated by, uh, like I am with most splatters. I, you know, it, I have to be in the right frame of mind to try to attack these games because they tend to be a little dense, a little opaque, a little difficult to get into. And imagine my surprise when I started reading the rule book and I thought, this doesn't sound that bad at all. Um, it, it really seemed kind of streamlined and clear. And the menu was this huge help, this player aid, which basically gives you the sequence of play and the reminders that you need to basically do the game, to play the game. And then on the inside, it's got this wonderful kind of flow chart of all the different employees and the different employee types and, and what leads to what and who can be promoted to what, etc. So really, really well thought out, really, really well put together. And I would say that Splatter seems to be rising in this regard because I thought Great Zimbabwe was quite nice too. Yeah. Um, that was really nice production quality, uh, really clear. Uh, I really enjoyed that one as well and still have it in my collection. So, all right, Food Chain Magnate. Um, before we go any further, Will, let's try and kind of help people out who maybe haven't played the game before. Can you give sort of a general overview of how the game is played and, you know, what people are trying to accomplish? Sure. The board depicts uh, town. And the town is full of houses and actually different places where you can pick up drinks and, uh, and a road network. And that's it. Um, and everyone starts with a single restaurant. And you can get two more if you choose to go that way. Um, and then you start just with a single CEO card representing yourself in the game. And turn by turn, you add more employees and use those employees to try and sell uh, make the most money selling fast food to the residents of the town. 
Yeah, you know, one of the most interesting parts of the game to me, uh, Will, is the employees. And this sort of, you, you develop a corporate structure um, in during the game. As you said, you start off with the CEO, who is capable of basically hiring somebody um, and taking, you know, like an action in the game, if you want to think of it that way. And so from the very first moment of the game, you have a decision to make because you have to decide, who do I want to hire? And in this game, there is a plethora of different people that you can hire. You can hire waitresses for your restaurant. You can hire yourself uh, someone who's going to handle advertising for you. You can hire an assistant, you know, like an, an assistant manager, you know, your right-hand man. You can, uh, there, you can hire someone who's going to go out and uh, get drinks for you. They're going to go to the various locations. And I think it's a lemonade. Errand boy, yeah. Yes, an errand boy. Thank an you. Errand yeah. boy. So you get like lemonade or you can get um, beer or you can get um, lemonade, beer, and soda. Is it soda, Will? It is. So you can get those three drinks. Um, and, you know, so you might hire yourself an errand boy. Um, and all of these people, you, have, you need someone to cook the food. So you might, you know, get yourself a cook who may eventually be able to upgrade to a chef. And so you start off by making important decisions from the get-go because, uh, as you said, your goal is to sell. And your goal is to sell to the houses that are in your neighborhood um, or possibly further. You can try to draw people into your restaurant, but distance is a consideration for people in this game. It's probably the most complicated part of the game where you have to kind of do some calculations and figure out, okay, this person wants burgers. Who offers burgers? These two people offer burgers. Okay, so how? F what are the prices of the burgers? What prices have been set? And then you take a look at that. People are generally going to go for what's cheaper, but they also factor in distance. Well, how far do I have to go to get the cheap burger? Maybe I would stay and spend more money on the expensive burger if it's closer. And so there's all these kind of interesting decisions that you have to make right from the get-go as far as what am I going to try and sell? What am I going to try to manufacture and sell, right? Am I going to be a burger joint? Am I going to do pizza? Uh, am I going to be known for my lemonade? Am I going to be the place where everybody goes for beer? Um, and meanwhile, all of your opponents are doing the exact same thing. And so, you know, you have to kind of make some decisions. Do I want to be in direct competition with someone right from the get-go? Or do I want to try and find my own little corner, my own niche market, and try to kind of do something that no one else is doing and so therefore don't have to worry about that. Uh, knowing full well that later in the game somebody may decide to get into your market anyway and beat you over the head with it. So, you know, there's <laughs> all these kind of interesting decisions and everything is driven by the cards that you get, meaning the employees that you hire. Um, and that's for a couple of reasons. Number one, the employees are going to be doing things for you during the course of the game. Uh, whether it's going and getting you drinks, whether it's making food, whether it's uh, advertising for you, uh, regardless of what it might be, um, whether it's training somebody, you know, you could have an HR person or a trainer. Um, so where you decide to go early in the game is quite important because as you pull these employees, you're also doing this with a mind to kind of getting what are called these milestone cards. And these milestone cards, I found, Will, to be extremely important in the game. Would you uh, agree with that? Absolutely. I think that they uh, kind of guide gameplay throughout the, especially the early part of the game. I, I feel like there's always a rush to claim certain milestones so that you've got them uh, safely. 
Yeah, and what they do can be extremely powerful for you. Um, what was the one that you went for, Lloyd? It, it, it like provides refrigeration, right? Oh, something like that, yeah. So that you can store. You can store some of your food. Right, and you don't have to discard it, right, because right. it doesn't spoil. Right. And yeah. I usually try to go for uh, advertising because there is a milestone where basically – your advertising persists like forever. It's like infinity advertising, right? That's right. right. I forgot about um, that. Because one of the things about the game is when you advertise um, to let people know that you're, you know, uh, the, the best lemonade and burger joint in the state or whatever, right, in the town, um, you, you basically are going to advertise uh, through a, a nice kind of a progression. Like you're going to start with billboards and then you might go to sort of uh, like direct mailing and then you can go eventually all the way up to like an airplane, an airplane flying overhead saying "Eat a Joe's" <laughs> or something. <laughs> so you've got all that, but your your advertising only lasts; it only persists for so many rounds. And after that, it's gone unless you decide to you know put up some more advertising, maybe in another location, or you you re up your advertising. Well, the infinity advertising guy kind of lets your advertising persist, and that can be a huge advantage in the game. Just about every one of these milestones can potentially be a huge advantage in the game. And so I think that's one of the reasons why, as you said, Will, early in the game, it's really important to kind of focus your thoughts and your strategy around what is it that I want to try and go for for these early milestones, because that will in many ways inform your decisions for the rest of the game. Yes? Yes. um, But I I think it's also the case that all of these advantages, uh, like none of them are broken. Um, the infinite advertising, as as a, a relevant example, is really useful and really powerful. It also allows you to have all of these marketing personnel without ever having to pay them, which yes. is great. Um, but it means that you can never adapt your advertising strategy. Right. Um, once you know, once you put advertising into place all the other players can make sure that they can meet those demands and know that they're never going to go away. Um, so I, I find I, in my early games, I always made sure that I locked that one up and now I intentionally avoid it so that, uh, I can always have the flexibility to change things up. And I think a lot of the milestones work that way where having them can be a great advantage if you use them the right way, but not having them isn't going to cost you the game either. Right, right. But it is going to kind of give you a little bit of a direction. I'm not going to say that it puts you on rails because it's not that harsh, right? It's not that directive, but it does give you um, some ideas of where you can go in the game. Like I remember one game we played, um, it was either with you or with Justin, where I just got crushed with waitresses. Like, I just felt like every waitress in the world was dogpiling on me. (laughs) I was just, I mean, he was making so much money with waitresses that I could not compete. And that was kind of the first time that I had seen that strategy kind of used against me was, you know, I was always kind of like looking to uh, do advertising, manufacture, set my price points low, but not so low that I'm not making enough money, but making sure I'm under other competitions, prices, et cetera, et cetera. And then he dogpiled me with waitresses. Like he had so much money that he was generating for the waitresses whenever he made his sales that, um, you know, it was a really effective strategy for him. And one of the things that I'm finding with this game, Will, is that there are so many of these little 
sort of hidden gems, these little strategies that you can discover as you play the game. And everybody kind of can bring something different to the table. Can you speak a little bit about what you found as far as the variety of strategies in the game? It's definitely one of my favorite things about the game, if not my favorite thing about the game. Um, you can try something completely crazy, uh, and there's a decent chance that it'll work, or you know, if if deployed in the right way, it will work. Um, you know, the you can build houses so that there are more customers to to serve, and you can build restaurants. Uh, so that you're closer to customers, and you can lay down advertising markers uh, to create demand. But all three of those things also take up real estate. So a strategy that was effective for me in one game is actually using all three of those things at the same time just to take up space on the board so that no one else could put their restaurant where it could access the customers that I was selling to. Um, and that allowed me to raise my prices up to the highest level and know that I could sell no matter what anyone tried to do. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. That's something that we discovered in one of the last games that we had played, um, I believe, Lloyd, was I was putting out uh, billboards and whatnot in the areas that were large enough because the, the, the larger billboards take up some physical space. And yes, so I was trying to position my billboards in such a way that you couldn't put a house down. Yeah. Right. Or you couldn't put, yeah. And, and so, yeah, I totally agree with you, Will. And again, my first like three, four plays, I didn't see that at all. But as I continue to play the game, those things become apparent. And so that real estate, that location, uh, the subtle ways in which the roads do and do not connect. Uh, this is because uh, the board is made up of these square tiles. And you put the tiles down, and depending on the number of players, there's a different number of tiles. And some of the roads are going to sort of connect, and some of the roads just dead end. They're like cul-de-sacs. And the way the demand works, basically, is a customer has to be able to get to your restaurant. They have to be able to get there. They're not going to, like, go through the bush. <laughs> They're not going to hack a trail with a machete to get to it's your lemonade stand. It's not Bear Valley, right. So, uh, you know, that also is interesting kind of spatial considerations that you have to think about while you're playing the game. Um, one of the other things about the game, though, Will, is that there is definitely a... Uh, perception with this game and I have seen it myself and I'm curious what you'll say that this is this can be an extraordinarily mean game um, as far as other people just being able to cleverly figure out through advertising pricing etc be able to kind of swoop in and take your customers when you least expect it and basically just kick you to the curb. Um, what would you say is the meanness factor of this game, and um, how do you think it would affect people's perceptions of the game? I think the meanness factor is largely player-dependent. Um, if you are in a really competitive crowd, it can get extremely nasty, and uh, a clever person can definitely come up with some really, really hurtful ways to... Uh, make sure that they deny their opponents victory. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and, you know, as you said, there's also so many different ways. Uh, the other thing about the game that I find is interesting is that there are so many different ways you can trip yourself up. You can literally shoot yourself in the foot. Um, I'm thinking of the... It's not. It's the luxury manager. Is it the luxury manager who sets your prices... 
like super high, yeah. right? And so you have the most prestigious pizza in the town, you know, and I guess it's what all the critics write about, you know, and say, oh, you know, you have to come here and you need a, you need a reservation, right? <laughs> and pizza. it's very highbrow, right? <laughs> this is the best burger joint uh, in the in the city. Um, but I have seen that siren chased so many times by people and had so many people um, stumble and fall with that because of the fact that they actually price themselves out of the market. Um, and so trying to kind of make that work, that strategy work, it can work, but you have to be really careful about how you implement it. And like, I, I think the only analogous kind of game system that I can think of is like an 18xx game where mm-hmm. you can bankrupt yourself or yeah. you can you can just totally put yourself into a box and say, well, I'm done. Because in the amount of time it's going to take you to shift your strategy or get out of that, other people have been making money. And the name of the game is making money. Mm-hmm. And so you've probably shot yourself in the foot. Um, that, that particular card, that employee, um, has hurt me. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the one time I tried to use it, and then I kind of sat back and watched others use it either to equally disastrous effect or, in the case of um, Justin, use it to really good effect. Um, are you, would you agree with that, that there are basically ways that you can cripple yourself in this game, let alone the meanness of others? Oh, absolutely. I, I feel like uh, half of the games that I've lost have been because I was clearly outplayed and. Half of the games that I've lost have been because I made a stupid mistake that my opponents were able to capitalize on. Uh, There are so many things, so many moving parts in your corporate structure, and you really need to, uh, in in part, just get the timing right so that everything hits at the same time. And if you, you know, miscalculate exactly when you need to start doing something or approaching something. To, to make that timing work, then you can miss out, and that one turn uh, delay can uh, can really hurt you. Yeah, absolutely, it can hurt your, your you in terms of your profit. It can hurt you in in terms of being able to place a new house or restaurant that you were looking to do. Um, that can be difficult as well because you have to go pretty high up the corporate chain to be able to place out new houses and uh, things of that nature. Um, and so that's another kind of interesting part of the game is managing your employees because um, each like your CEO, I believe, can like manage what is it three player a uh, three or four other cards? I'm having a hard time remembering. Well, do you remember? It's three at the beginning of the game, and it can change to two or four uh, when the bank is refilled, sort of mid game. Right, right. Yeah, no, that, that, thank you for reminding me of that. Yes, absolutely. Um, and we haven't even talked about that yet. Um, that's another <laughs> interesting thing. But, you know, so my CEO can do, he can like basically handle three people. Um, but you're going to need a whole lot more than three people. So then you have to hire basically like assistant managers and, and other people who are going to be able to handle other people for you. Um, and you have to make sure that when you are building your corporate structure every round, because you have to basically look at all of the people that you have in your employ, and you have to decide, okay, who's working today? Like, who's working this round? And the cards that you don't use 
are going to apparently go to the beach, which is pretty nice because when <laughs> I have off, I don't get to go to the beach. But uh, they basically get to go to the beach. I think it says in the rule book, right? Um, and they're they're like out for the round. Like you cannot recall them. You can't do anything with them. They are done. Um, and then you're free to use your other employees as you build this kind of uh, pyramid kind of looking structure. Um, but if you make a mistake, then you have a problem. All right. Then you, you basically are out like you, you get to use you. You get to use your CEO um, if you don't set your structure up correctly, meaning you overcommit people. You have too many people then can be safely managed by all of the, the people that you have. And so that's a whole other layer to the game that I find really interesting is trying to manage your people and when do you need their particular skills and when can you set them aside for a round. So, Will, you're managing your corporate structure, you're managing the physical sort of space of the board, you're trying to get a handle on uh, the milestones that you want to try to claim this game and which milestones are going to sort of lead you in the general direction that you are hoping to go in, right? Because they can be very powerful and helpful to you. Um, and, and while you're trying to kind of juggle all of this, you're having to respond to what the other players are doing. Um, I find that this game is highly interactive. Would you agree with that or not? Extremely interactive. It's, it's maybe the most interactive game I've played. So what about it in particular would you point to that is more interactive or that feels so much more interactive to you than sort of a standard Euro or regular game that you would have played? Well, I feel like standard Euros often uh, end up being multiplayer solitaire or at least accused of that. So um, certainly coming from playing a lot of those games, it's it's just a whole different world. But I, I feel like everything you're doing, you know, the marketing that you're uh, deploying or that other people are deploying uh, creates the demand that everyone is responding to. Um, being, you know, if I can supply something or if you can supply something that I can't, uh, then no matter how many other advantages I have, I'm not going to make the sale. Um, you know, it's, it's proximity on the board, it's pricing, it's supply, it's what the demand is, uh, it's how many people you can actually send to work, you know, how big your management structure is, um, you know, it gets down to if I have a, can have a big management structure, if I can send 16 people to work in a turn, but I only send 12, leaving those four spots open, um, that's actually how the turn order bid happens. Um, and so sometimes when you're racing to get uh, an employee, a specific high-powered employee, some of the high-powered employees are limited in quantity. Um right. And so if you're racing to get one of those, you, you might want to leave some spots open. Or um, it's also the tiebreaker for, uh, you know, there's the pricing and the distance uh, that kind of determines where people are going to buy their food from. And then after that, waitresses are a tiebreaker. And after that, turn order is a tiebreaker. Mm -hmm. And even just that turn order, uh, that can really make the difference uh, in having a really successful turn and making no money in a turn. So, you know, from the moment that you're laying out your corporate structure, you're weighing not only which employees do I need, but how many do I actually need to send to work? Because if I can afford not to send some to work, that could make a huge difference this turn. 
Yeah, that's an excellent point, and one that I haven't really taken anywhere near of enough advantage of. I don't even know if that's an actual <laughs> sentence, but <laughs> I haven't used that too often uh, as far as leaving those slots open. I'm always about, you know, to me it always felt, Will, like it was wasteful. You know, it's like I have the capacity to have somebody go out and get me some drinks. Why would I not do that? And, you know, you just answered that uh, beautifully uh, because of all of the different uh, things that be that are limited in the game, you know, the, the limited employees. Um, also, you know, if, if you're able to act uh, before another player, you might be able to put that house in a position that you really need it to be uh, in order to be served by your restaurant or something of that nature. So those things are all really, really important in this game. And, and I would agree with uh, everything you said there. Um, Lloyd, what would you say would be the biggest barrier um, to this game that you experienced? Like, what was the thing that you struggled with the most? I think the very first time that we played this game, just looking at that huge flow chart of how all the different cards sync together and the different levels of them and how, you know, certain cards can be trained into something better. Mm -hmm. That was a little overwhelming at first because... It, it almost brought me back to playing, you know, like Cuba Libre and looking at this big spreadsheet for, you know, the, 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 the dummy player and trying to figure out how the game can flow. Uh, once you get into the game, though, and once you've played it a couple times, it, it's actually very intuitive and it's, it's just easy to see that, you know, naturally this card's going to become this card and why do you want it to become this card? Well, it's a much better version right, or it's going right. to do something better for you. And then you can have more of like a long-term strategy of, you know, if you're if you're going down a certain path, you're going to know which of those high-end cards you might want to train and you might want to focus on and you might want to look for later on in the game. Yeah, I would agree that that can be something that uh, can be rather challenging for first-time players is trying to absorb that. that it's almost like a tech tree, right? Yeah. Because it, it, it really like all you're talking game. about is upgrading, right? Yeah. You're talking, as you said, about upgrading from a cook to a chef to a, you know... Uh, I forget what's after a chef, but uh, yeah, there, there's like three yeah. different levels, I think, um, to, you know, that's a particular uh, role, um, you know, you're, or you're trying to get an errand boy to a cart operator or, you know, all of these different kinds of upgrades, which are going to generally increase capacity, you know, what they're allowed to bring, what they can bring to the table, knowing, of course, full well that, okay, that training action sounds awesome. You would always want to upgrade somebody, except for the fact that if you are producing more than you can actually sell, it's kind of a waste. So was that training action really necessary mm -hmm. at this time? Or is it something that I could have waited until later and focused on something else? And I find that the game, um, it, it offers a lot of temptations, Will, is the best way that I can think of saying it. Like, you're, it, you're, you're yeah. tempted by all of these things. You're like, ooh, I want to do that. Ooh, I want to do that. And then, like I just described, it's like, cool, I'm making, you know, six burgers a turn. It's like, well, you can only sell two, doofus. <laughs> so what are you going to do with the other four? And... You know, I don't have refrigeration, and so I'm like, well, I guess they're going to go to waste then. And it's like, and then you're sort of retroactively trying to create more demand for something that you're already producing too much of. And I find that there's all of these uh, really interesting effects in the game and temptations that almost are like, uh, you know, will o' the wisps. Like they kind of lead you to go somewhere, and then you get there and you look around, and you're like, why am I here? <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> have you had that experience, Will? Absolutely. I, I think that, uh, you know, you, you look at that flowchart and as soon as you're not intimidated by it, you're sort of impressed by it. And there's a desire to, to want to buy 
every piece of candy from the candy shop. Uh, <laughs> and you really do have to focus your strategy and figure out what you need because you can't do everything uh, because by the time you could do everything, uh, the game is over and someone else has won because they've had a more focused strategy. So uh, it's definitely important to, to try and keep sight of, well, which things do I want to try and use to win this game? Right. And, and I find that a lot of times that also has to be, as you indicated very early on in our conversation today, uh, it has to in some ways be determined by the other players. Like you have to be able to respond to them. Because if you lock yourself in, as you said uh, earlier with advertising, when you use that example, if you lock yourself into a particular kind of a path, you can end up finding a dead end. Um, and so you, you do have to be very aware of the other players and responsive to the different things that they're doing in order for you to be successful, which, of course, goes straight back to your point about you feel that this game is very highly interactive. And I guess I would have to agree for that point. Um, you mentioned two other things here. You keep using the word strategy, so of course I'm going to ask you about that. And then when we're done with that, Will, I want to circle back to uh, this end of the game because I do find that the game um, can move quite quickly. Um, and I, I think it would be interesting to explain to listeners how the game kind of progresses and the end game comes about with the breaking of the bank, et cetera, et cetera. So before we go to that, uh, while we're talking about all these strategies and you know the siren call of all of these different kinds of cards and powers and effects and milestones and trying to balance all that out, have you found any particular sort of um, general strategies that would be useful to people who are trying to approach this game for the first time? What, what advice would you give? Well, I think that uh, in particular opening strategies are uh, actually relatively narrow in the game. Um, I, I'm trying to do the mental count. I think that there are seven or eight different entry-level employees, which are the ones that you uh, don't have to pay and can hire at any time, as opposed right. to ones that have to be promoted from others. And, uh, you know, you can buy or hire, not buy any of them on the first turn. Um, but most of them are not worth hiring on the first turn. Uh, as an example, there's the, the kitchen trainee who can make one burger or one pizza. Um, and you might think, well, it's a, a game about making fast food. I, I certainly need that. I think that's what I'm going to hire on my first turn. But, the turn that you use them, the milestone bonus that you get for making the first burger or first pizza is an advanced employee, uh, you know, either a burger cook or a pizza cook that makes three instead of one, um, but it ha needs to be paid. And uh, because there's no demand on the board yet, uh, you couldn't sell the burger that you made. And so you have to fire that free employee that you got right away. So that's, you know, that's one example of an employee that is just worthless to hire on the first turn. Um, it seems pretty much uh, recruiting girl and uh, trainer are the, uh, the two that people think are uh, potentially good hires on the first turn. Uh, I prefer going with the recruiting girl. Uh, the bonus that you get there is uh, you get some free managers as soon as you hire three people in one turn. So if you hire a recruiting girl the first turn and again on the second turn, then on the third turn you get some free managers. Um, and just having more recruiters in the early game in general 
is actually really useful just to build up your network more quickly, um, you know, versus a, a player who is only able to hire one person each turn. Um, when you get to turn three, they, you know, have three people. And when someone else gets to turn three, they have six people. Um, so that's useful. And uh, having a trainer early is also very useful. Those those two openings seem to be pretty good. Um, there are some off cases where uh, Errand Boy is a, is a decent first turn hire, but that's uh, that's kind of about it. All right. Well, thank you for uh, the, that advice for first time players, uh, because as you said, you know very uh, appropriately. It doesn't really do you much good to have any production before you have any customers, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, I tend to kind of go a little bit more for the advertising um, early and drinks early. I tend to go for advertising and errand boy mm-hmm. uh, to get me drinks. And I usually start off by selling drinks. Like, apparently that's the only thing my, my restaurant does. <laughs> it sells He's got great it sells lemonade. lemonade or beer or something like that. <laughs> and, and so I just start with a little demand, a little bit of income. Uh, as quickly as I can from drinks. And then from drinks, while I'm doing that, other people are are usually building up some kind of infrastructure and I see who's going for burgers, who's going for pizza, um, who wants to maybe compete with me with drinks. Um, And and so then I kind of start to make some decisions uh, from there. So it just kind of goes to show that there's lots and lots of different ways that you can approach the game. Now, I'm not sure the approach I'm describing is any good or not. I'm just saying it's the one I've used. So, um, but I like the fact that there is, uh, you know, a plethora of options and different sort of paths for you to explore in this game. And even making those mistakes, like you just described, Will, can still uh, lead to, you know, just improved gameplay. Like, I feel that this is a game that you get better at the more you play. Would you agree? Absolutely. And uh, I, I would actually say that it is one problem of the game. Not not that it's actually a, a problem, but if you have two people who have played many times and two people who haven't played, there's just really no chance that the two new players are going to win. Um, there's just so many intricacies in how everything works together uh, that... I, I think it's pretty impossible for a first-time player to grasp all of it in the face of experienced players. Um, but, it, you know, if you've got people who aren't discouraged, uh, then they'll do better their next time. Um, and that's, uh, that's a problem that I'm running into now because uh, me and a, a couple of my friends have played a lot, and now if we introduce new players, it's, uh, it's at their peril. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Well, that's true. But at the same time, it's also true that, you know, as as the person and I'm sure you, you've done this as the person teaching the game, you're not going to go for the throat uh, of the new player. You know, you're, you're going to guide them along. Be, you know, you're going to sort of nurture them um, so that they don't get that frustrating experience where they're going to be like, well, I hate this game, you know, because at the end of the day. We're always trying to recruit new people to play the games that we like, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you can be a kind teacher, um, you know, and if you have a player who responds to that, some players don't. Some players are like, don't don't give me suggestions. I don't want to hear, blah, 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 you know, I want to play my game. And you have to respect that. You have mm-hmm. to say, okay, that's fine. You know, if, if that's what you want to do, you want to explore on your own, that's cool. Um, as a more experienced player, I can maybe help you with some of these pitfalls, 
Um, you know, not worrying so much about, you know, my score or what's going to happen. I'm probably going to win anyway, uh, just by default, because I know the game so much better. Um, but, you know, I'm going to I'm going to guide that player along. Um, you know, you hear this a lot, Will, about heavy games, which is why I'm trying to make this point, which is I think it's kind of up to those of us who want to play these games to try to be um, kind mentors to the people we're trying to get to play the game. Uh, because, you know, very often you'll sometimes have um, some super competitive kind of people and no one likes being beaten, you know, 200 to 42. You know, it's just, it's just not a, it's not going to I don't care how forgiving you are or how laid back you are. You're still going to look at that and be like, yeah, that kind of stunk. Right. Um, and so I think we kind of have a little bit of a, uh, a responsibility if we want to find and recruit people to play these games, whether it's an 18xx kind of a game, whether it's a, a heavy Euro like this, or, I mean, geez, the first time you play Kanban, um, oh my goodness, you're, yeah. you're, you're Your going to flounder. You're yeah. just going to be flopping around like a fish. And, you know, somebody who knows that game is like, oh, but you have to do this and this, because if you do this and then this, and then if you go over here, you do this, then you get more seats at the conference table at the end of the round, which will let you do this, and then you'll be able to price it. And you're like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, you have to kind of, like, guide people along. Um, would you agree with that uh, as a general principle, Will? Absolutely. I think that, uh, I think that you know, you can go easy on someone and, and try and give them advice without being too, uh, too patronizing about it. Right. Um, but it it is a a difficult game to to grasp the totality of in a first play um that's for sure yeah and you know one of the other barriers to that you're going to love this segue this is fantastic sometimes i'm I, sometimes i impress myself <laughs> one of the other things that can be difficult for new players will is figuring out when the stupid game is going to end and that's because you have this very interesting system whereby at the very start of the game, the players are basically going to set the length of the game, if you want to think of it that way, um, by secretly selecting some cards uh, that are there only really for this purpose. Um, because the way the, the basic flow of the game is, is you're going to play the game until the bank is busted. There's a limited supply of money in the bank. It's just like an 18X. I think they kind of borrowed this from an 18XX kind of a style of game where breaking the bank signals the end of the game. But what's interesting about this one is you play the game until the bank is broken and it's going to be a, a relatively short amount of time. It, it's over before you know it. Just as soon as you feel like you got the ball rolling and like Agricola, you know, now I finally don't have to worry about feeding my people. The game's over. Right. right? Um, you then, the bank is broken, but then you're going to reveal the cards that the players had selected, which is going to determine how much money is going to be put back into the bank. And once all that money has gone through um, and you've busted the bank a second time, then you're going to be done. And I can tell you, Will, as a new player, that was one of the weirdest things about the game, was trying to get a feel for how much time do I have? And then even as an experienced player... I play, and I wouldn't necessarily even call myself experienced yet, right? But even as a player who's familiar with the game, that sounds better, um, I still struggle with this, Will, because I've had players just totally mess with me and throw, like, you know, the, the hundreds in there, right? And I'm, I'm planning for a long game because I've got this really cool new idea, and so I throw the, the high-value card, what is it, 300 or something like that? I throw that in, and then my opponents throw in these little rinky-dink cards, I'm like, oh, well, dang it. This game's probably going to be over before I can even really execute this strategy. And so that's a whole nother kind of um, 
a feature of the game, but can be something that can be really difficult to deal with. Um, can you talk a little bit about that end game uh, scenarios and how those play out? Yeah, I, well, I think that just the whole mechanism, uh, I, I think you're right. I think it is one of the hardest things to grasp. Certainly, it's actually the first or second thing you do in the game is select that card. Mm-hmm. I think you place your restaurant and then you select that card. Um, and it's kind of like the, it's not not as bad, I would say, but it's kind of like the private's auction in 1830. Right. Um, it's, it's a thing that a new player just has no context for whatsoever and it's a decision that you have to make that's actually gonna you know be somewhat important um so it is a a a certain barrier to entry and then as far as the the end game um you know i've played over 20 games of it and i still sometimes am shocked when the game ends suddenly because the the demand keeps increasing generally Mm -hmm. over the game and so the amount of money that is being made each turn is also increasing um and so you know oh last turn 150 dollars of sales were made uh and there's 225 dollars left in the bank so this is going to go on for two more turns i've got time to to do this this bigger thing that i want to do um and then you know you discover that the game has ended on you <laughs> yep yep uh, because there is that uh, natural sort of escalation um to the payouts as you as you just talked about and so it can make it hard to kind of predict when this is all gonna happen um and so yeah i, I think that that's another really fascinating part of the game but it's also something that uh would, is also a, a little bit of a complaint of mine one of my few complaints about the game and it's for exactly what you said, Will. And, and I wanted to hear what you had to say before I kind of brought it up, which is I almost feel like that decision is being made before I really have enough information to make an intelligent decision. Like I am trying to predict whether really, in effect, I want to go for a long game or a short game. And I have no knowledge of what the other players are going to think or want, or I haven't seen them do a darn thing. I have no indication, right? And yet I'm being asked to make a decision that can be rather crucial. And I've always kind of wondered, uh, you know, and, and, and wished that I you know, had taken the time maybe before the show to like email the designers, uh, uh, you know, Yarun uh, uh, Duman and uh, Yoris uh, Virsinga and say, hey, you know, wouldn't it make more sense to do this after the banks busted the first time? Because then everybody, it's almost like a mid-game scoring where everybody kind of assesses, okay, how am I doing, you know? Um, How do I think they're doing? Because maybe I've got an advantage, but I can see that what you're building, Lloyd, is going to be killer if you can really get that up and running. So I'm going to throw the 100 in there because I want this thing to be over soon, right? And then there are other times where I can see, okay, well, Will and I are really building a nice engine and Lloyd's the one that's in the lead. But if we have just a little bit more time, a few more rounds for this bank to stay solvent, I think we're going to be able to catch him. And I'm not talking to you about it, Will, but I'm kind of looking at you. I'm looking at what you're doing. I'm thinking about what I'm doing. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to throw the high value card in here, um, which for the life of me, I can't remember what it is. And I'm going to see if I can extend this game even longer, right? Um, and, and I kind of wish that that was when that decision was made. Um, do either of you kind of agree with that? I'll start with you, Lloyd. I totally agree with that because you're halfway or part of the way through the game. I shouldn't even really say half because right. 
of how quickly that money comes out. But you actually have information now that you can use and you can see, you know, what the board uh, starting to look like, where those restaurants are, where all of the houses are, uh, where your advertising is going. And you actually have the employees and you kind of have this plan. Right. So now you have a better set of information to really decide, like you said, should it be a longer game? Should it be a shorter game? And, you know, I might see that my opponents are all in competition with each other for the exact same thing. And I'm going to go, you know what? I'm doing something different. I'm not worried if the game goes on longer because I'm the only one maybe vested in the lemonade burgers. Ooh, that sounds really gross. <laughs> Lem- <laughs> burgers and beer. There we go. Burgers That's better. That's better. That's and, better. you know, I'm going to let my opponents duke it out over the pizza and lemonade and right, right. And, and whatever else that they have. And, you know, I'm not going to worry about whether they might throw the short game because I'm already looking at what's going on. Right. What would you say about that, Will? Is that something that has ever bothered you or is that just Lloyd and I? Uh, It's never bothered me all that much, but I I actually think that your idea would be a fun variant to try. Um, Because, like you say, you do have more information at that point in the game. And it's really not halfway through the game – you know, the, the bank starts at $50 per player, and right, the right. smallest card is $100 per player. So, you know, at least mathematically, it's a third of the way through the game. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's still plenty of game left uh, on which to act on the, the decision that you would have made at that point. So I think that, you know, that is a, an interesting variant to try. Yeah, you know, again, it's it's just something that I've always kind of been curious uh, to talk to other people who've played the game, whether or not that was something that uh, they had an issue with. So I understand you don't, and, and that's fine. It was, and, and like I said, for me, it's not a huge deal, but it's something that kind of has crossed my mind from time to time for sure. So, all right, um, we've talked a, a lot about sort of uh, the, the mechanisms of the game, the deck building, uh, the tableau that you'll put in front of you of your corporate structure for the round, the importance of turn order, um, the uh, spatial aspects of the game, the challenges in the sort of technology tree as you try to navigate through that, uh, general strategies. Is there, why is this game fun? This is like the one thing that I haven't really talked to you about or asked yet. Uh, I think it's fun just because the the game. I've I've seen some people describe it as a sandbox game, and I've seen other people say that it's absolutely not a sandbox game. I guess I'm not sure what a sandbox game is, what the proper definition of that would be. But it's a game that gives you a lot of different tools, and it's kind of up to you to decide how to use those tools. And uh, every game you uh, you can try something completely different and see how it works. And it's, it's fun to, uh, to come up with new ideas of things that you'd like to try and, and then, you know, sit at the table and, and see how it shakes out. What would you say, Lloyd? What, what is the fun factor in this game? Because, it, it, you know, we've described a lot of things that are very interesting, very cerebral, but also very challenging, you know. Um, but what, where would you say the fun factor is in this one? I would say a big part of the fun factor is probably just in the theme that, you know, you're the CEO of like this little burger joint or this little pizza shop. And uh, you're trying to build this big empire, which might only end up being one store anyways. <laughs> But, you know, there can be only one. There can be only one. (laughs) But, you know, you've you've got this cool little corporation and 
again, like like Will said, you've got so many different choices, right. so many different things you can do. So every time you play this game, it's going to be fun because you can try so many different avenues. And there's so many choices that you can make. And, well, last time I played it, you know what? This didn't work so well. I'm going to try this route this time. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I find is kind of the fun factor for me is that idea of trying to identify a plan, come up with a strategy, then try it, knowing full well that it's probably not going to go super well the first time. But then I have an interesting decision to make. It's like, okay, do I I take another run at that, taking what I learned this game to improve it? Do I think the improved version of what I did this game is going to be a winner or should I look for something else? And I kind of find that to be um, very satisfying and, and a lot of fun trying to kind of make that decision about whatever particular avenue or road that I'm exploring in the game. And the other thing to me that is a a big-time fun factor that maybe, Will, you're getting to experience um, as you try to bring new people in is I am always shocked completely by new ideas that I see from other players that I don't know whether it's groupthink. I don't know whether it's just, hey, you know, it's it, I know you well, Lloyd. Uh, you know how I play things. I know how you play. We all know how Joanna plays, you know. Yeah. And, and so it's not that the games that we play get stale, but we can make intelligent predictions about strategies and things that we're going to do based on who we are as people and players and how well we know each other. Well, if I play this game with somebody new, I'm always like just blindsided. Like I, somebody will try something like Justin's Waitress Empire, right? <laughs> and I'll be like, I never would have thought of that like in a million years. I would never have tried to push a strategy like that, you know, based so much on that and pricing. You know, he was like the Walmart Waitress Club, you know. <laughs> so he wasn't making like any money off of his food, but he was making lots of money from the waitresses. And it was like, wow, I never would have thought of that, you know? Um, and I find that to be just so much fun um, to watch and to experience and then, of course, to steal their ideas and then try to use them myself, you know, later or, or change them or tweak them or whatever. So um, have you found that uh, as well, Will, this idea of as you've introduced new players, have they surprised you with some of the ideas that they've had? I think that's another thing that I love about the game is not only new players, but even experienced players surprise me Uh, you know i I would say it's a rare game of food chain magnate that i play where i don't see something that i haven't seen before um it might not be as you know crazy and outside of the box as an all waitress strategy (laughs) or something like that but but you know i i'm seeing the same pieces the the same you know tools that i've uh been playing the game with all along used in ways that I that I never considered them being used for, um, and it's it's something that's a lot of fun. Um, the other fun thing uh, about the game is that, uh, and I guess this goes to theme, but the the way that uh, the game abstracts things is sort of very gently, and I feel like the game really creates a story every time you play it. Um, you know, the the fact that there are restaurants with locations and advertising and customers and, you know, uh, managers and just everything seems to make sense narratively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every game sort of is a story. You know, there's the, the game that I played where 
you know, a friend of mine was a, a slumlord, uh, effectively, you know, just building a bunch of houses in a small neighborhood and overcharging them for food because they couldn't access any other restaurants. So he had like a company store. It's like an old mining town, you know? He's like, well, you can't get your pickaxe anywhere else, so I'm going to charge you $20 for it. That's a half a month's wages. Have a nice day, right? So he did the same thing, huh? Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, And I I feel like every circumstance that the the game mechanisms creates also creates a story Um, that's that's very easy to understand because everything has sort of a a literal uh, counterpart in, you know, in the real world that functions in much the same ways that they function in the game. So it's easy to it's easy to extrapolate that story from the game state. Well, that's really interesting, and I wonder if some of that has to do with, uh, you know, your background as a cinematographer and a person who's kind of looking at story and looking at narrative, um, you know, on, on as part of what you do, uh, because I feel that pull very strongly in this game as well, and I, I would sort of compare it to The Great Zimbabwe. Now, I don't know, have you had a chance to play Great Zimbabwe, Will? I, I haven't. I, uh, okay. I'm really looking forward to the reprint later this year. It is a uh, really fascinating game. It is fantastic. It's got this wonderful mechanism where basically the more power, like game-breaking powers that you take, the harder it is for you to win Yeah, uh, kind of thing going on. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because it also uses a grid-based system and it uses distance, right, from mm-hmm. resources yep. and supply and production in much the same way the Food Chain Magnate does. But it is very abstracted. To me, I don't get that narrative from Great Zimbabwe. To me, Great Zimbabwe feels much more of a kind of a pure strategy kind of a game. Whereas, as Will's talking about here, you can see that plane flying overhead. You know, you can see the mailman walking down Mayberry, whistling and stuffing the flyers in everybody's mailbox when you do a direct mail campaign. You know, like. These things kind of tell this story, um, and and I find that to be a really fun part of the game as well. I would agree with you, Will. And I'm just kind of curious as to how many other people out there, maybe they can uh, talk about it in the guilds or the forums when we post this episode, uh, about how strong they feel the narrative element is in this game. Because when you look at it, um, when you look at the components... I wouldn't say that looking at these houses and, you know, the, 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 what is it? The, not the gardens in the back, but are they the gardens, the little green tiles? Yeah, the gardens and, um, you know, the streets and that it doesn't look super duper kind of, uh, it, it, I don't know. To me, it's charming, but it doesn't scream story or narrative to me, but the gameplay does. Like everything that happened to build that town is telling a story, right? When I look at it, I'm not super impressed by it, but when I'm playing it, I get that sense of storytelling that Will is talking about, and every game does kind of play out differently, uh, which is a real strength of it. I'd be curious to contrast that with other games that they've done, um, in particular Great Zimbabwe, because I also got that same narrative feel that Will's talking about through Antiquity, where, you know, I have a graveyard. And if my town is ever overrun with graves, yeah. it's dead. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's, there's not only the, the spatial aspects of it, but there's also sort of thematic connections to, you know, uh, and pollution in the countryside. And as I deplete my resources, like you can see it, 
You know, you can watch it unfolding, right? In much the same way that Food Chain Magnate does. So I find that to be very interesting. Um, well, Will, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts about that. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to ask uh, the same question I always ask everybody, which is what is your one big complaint about the game or it, what is one thing that you wish would be different or that you could change? You know, I, I honestly think that this is maybe the only game that I, I wouldn't change anything. Wow, okay. Well, that's high praise. You know, I've already kind of talked about what I would change, which is that uh, bank uh, kind of thing. Like, you know, when you make the decision about uh, what the uh, bank is going to be restocked to, uh, which then also, uh, important to say, has that ripple effect on the CEO as far as how many people the CEO can handle. That's also affected by that bank refunding. So, um, that's another whole little interesting thing that we didn't even talk about, but Will yeah. mentioned earlier. So, um, do you have any complaints, Lloyd, about the game? That something that you wish uh, would, was different, or something that doesn't uh, rub you the right way? I don't really think so. Um, we talked about how important those milestones can be and how powerful they are, but but Will even pointed out that sometimes that's not always a good thing because you can get locked into something, mm-hmm. and then you know you're you're not able to readjust yourself. Uh, later on in the game. So, I mean, I, I like the balance of the game. Um, no, I don't really think there's anything major in this, except for maybe, like you said, the when you reveal those cards for the bank. But, you know, yeah. You, yeah. If, if you're an experienced player playing the game, um, you can probably have a good idea of what you want to do right. and how long it's going to take to do it right, right from the get-go. So you'll already have in mind maybe whether you want it to be on the shorter end of a game or on the longer end of a game. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to bring up, Will, is, is, uh, you know, and I'm sure there's going to be people out there who are going to chafe uh, about this next comment because uh, um, I'm not even sure how I feel about it. But but it's something that I noticed. And and here's what I've I've determined, Will. If I notice something, I'm probably going to mention it. Whether or not I'm really bothered by it or not, I'm going to mention it and then see what people think. Because if it was enough to kind of get through my general sort of shields and, you know, poke me, then maybe there's something there. Um, Okay, I want to preface what I'm going to say with the fact that I love the artwork on the cards. That 1950s style artwork that the graphic designer did for the game, the artist for the game, which is, let me check here on BGG, uh, Iris Dehan. And, oh my goodness, um, somebody, Yinzi Moat? I, I don't know, I'm sure I'm butchering it because these are Dutch names and, and I'm sure I'm totally mispronouncing them. But um, these are the two artists that are listed. I love the art on the cards, the kind of color palette that they used on the cards. It reminds me of those 1950s kind of advertisements and things um, and the line drawing kind of style of them. Uh, I enjoy that. Um, I, I, probably because I have girls, Will, I did have sort of a blip on my radar about, you know, why are none of the power positions in the game women? Um, you know, we have recruiting girl. Um, and, and I understand that the game kind of has that fifties theme. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I ask these questions because I think they're subtle. I think that there's subtle little messages um, in some of the games that we play, just like some of the things that we read, the movies we watch, the video games we play, whatever it happens to be. And I am in no way claiming that it is overtly sexist or, or anything like that. 
Um, but I am saying that it blipped on my radar. Like I, I kind of thought about that and thought, okay, I understand what the setting is supposed to be, but we are living in modern times. Uh, I do play with women. I play with, uh, you know, females. I play with my own daughters. And I sometimes I don't like these kind of messages. Um, I brought up the same thing to Steve Bonacore of Stronghold when he released Space Cadets Away Missions, right? Um, you know, where it's like, why is the captain always male? And why is the communications officer always female, like Lieutenant Uhura? He's like, ah, oh, well, it's, it's like that retro style. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Lieutenant Uhura was a woman and who's a communications officer, right? How many years did it take for Star Trek to decide, well, let's try a female captain, right? Like, let's try someone, let's try to kind of mess with the typical gender roles a little bit. Um, and so I, I'm not saying that this is a problem or that I'm boycotting or I'm, obviously I'm not, I love the game, but it did blip on my radar. Um, is that anything that kind of made its way through your filters? You're a new father, um, relatively. Yes. And and are these, did this kind of, did you notice that at all? Or is that just me being overly sensitive? Um, I didn't notice it. Uh, and I'm looking through the cards right now and it is, uh, the waitress, the three different pricing, the pricing manager, luxury manager, and discount manager, um, and the three different uh, recruiters, the, the, HR people, the, yeah. the HR people, are all women, and everyone else is... Oh, no, wait, maybe one of the... Maybe one of the cooks, let me see, is also... You could be right. I still remember maybe one, one of, of the, the, one the cooks of the pizza. or the chefs. That, no, the pizza, I think, was a guy. Yeah, but maybe the, the burger. The, or... both, both of the cooks are women and both of the chefs are men. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Ooh. all right. So doesn't necessarily make it any better that the uh, – <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the middle-ranked. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And like I said, it, it has nothing to do with the gameplay, and I certainly don't think it was – Anything, you know, the designers set out or, or the artists set out and said, yeah, you know, we're going to we're just going to make sure that women aren't in positions of authority. Yeah. You know, <laughs> men forever. Like, I don't <laughs> think they did that. But I, again, it, it leads me to just bring it up. I, I like to bring it up. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who are like, well, that's too PC for me. And, you know, uh, you're you're being stupid. Um, but I like to bring these things up because anybody who has kids and anybody who has daughters this is the kind of thing that tends to blip on your radar a little bit. Um, and I, I don't mean it as an insult, but I would like to put out there while we're discussing this issue, you know, to anybody who might be listening, uh, who might be getting into game design, or if there's any established designers who listen to the podcast, and there's a few of them I know who do, um, keep it in mind, you know, keep it in mind, think about it. Um, sometimes these kinds of changes and shifts require some overt action, you know what I mean? I'm sure when they were looking through uh, art samples from 1950s advertising illustrations and things of that nature, they saw what we see, you know. And if you're going to be inspired by that because it is period, it is thematic, and that is totally cool. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, You know, you're going to probably follow that lead, but then there's always the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to make – This manager, I'm just, just for giggles, I'm going to make that one a woman, you know, Um, and, you know, or or I'm going to make that one 
you know, a Latino, or I'm going to make that one African-American, or I'm going to make that one just something a little different. You know what I mean? Just kind of mix it up a little. Um, because I think that those little subtle messages that people see when they play games will probably fly under their radar, but there will be some people who will be like, huh, that's kind of cool. I like that. Like, I'm glad that someone thought about that and said, yeah, I'm going to do that. And so I think it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Um, And yes, it is overt. Yes, it does take actual, you have to really think about it to do it. Um, But at the same time, I don't think it really hurts anything to to try every once in a while. So I'm going to get off my soapbox now, Will. Um, (laughs) But uh, I appreciate you rifling through the cards there real quick and and just kind of checking my memory and seeing, uh, you know, what you saw. And, And yeah, that was kind of what struck me. It's like all of the traditionally dominated female areas, which would be HR and, you know, the spunky recruiter and, you know, the, these are all the positions that are given to the ladies and then everything else kind of seems to go to the men and, you know, the, the low level cooks are the ladies, but the chefs are the men. And, you know, um, yeah, there are a lot of great chefs who are men uh, without a doubt. Um, you know, TV is full of them, but there's also uh, great chefs, of course, who are women. So um, just something that I just wanted to bring up there a little bit. Um what, uh, you know, is there anything else that we haven't covered about this game, Will, that you'd like to talk about before we kind of draw this to a close? Uh, two things, actually. One is that uh, the game has a really wonderful online impl- implementation, uh, which lets anyone uh, experience playing the game without having to drop the hundred plus dollars that it takes to buy, uh, if you can even locate a copy. Right. Um, which it is It is being reprinted a fifth time now. Yes. Uh, so uh, it, it will be <laughs> available again later this year. I think the fourth print run might still be in some shops in the U.S. But um, the online version is at uh, boardgamecore.net and is really, really excellent. It's, uh, it's the best free online implementation I've ever seen of a game. Um, and I encourage people to to hop on there and, and check it out. The community is largely pretty friendly and uh, happy to, to show new players the ropes, and uh, it's a, a great way to experience the game without, uh, like I said, having to hunt down an expensive copy. Right, right. Well, no, I, I really appreciate that tip because I was unaware of that entirely, so uh, thanks for letting people know about that, Will. Um, uh, as far as availability goes... Um, you know, I know that I got my copy through GameSurplus.com. Um, you know, I know that Velma was able to track me down a copy without any problem. Uh, so you can always try there. Um, you know, if there's any in distribution still, she'll be able to tr- uh, to track it down and find it for you. So if anybody is looking to spend the hundred dollars, yes. uh, I think it's I think it's interesting to note that most of the online retailers that I've seen are charging somewhere between uh, 109 and 130 for the game, and I think Velma uh, charges like. 97 or something like that for it so um she's even lower than everybody else as is usual um so that's just a little plug for them of course because they are my sponsor and because it's true so there we go uh will you said there was something else you wanted to talk about uh, before we signed off here yes uh the game can be quite a table hog um just get, just laying all those cards out and a bunch of solutions have been uh proposed to uh to help that and there's a really cheap one um 
in, in terms of affordability, uh, it's actually really nice um, that uh, they're selling on the BGG store that one of the BGG admins uh, created and had manufactured. Um, and it's a really great way to uh, to cut down on the amount of table space. It uh, it sort of forms a little accordion rack inside of the box lid to display the employees. And then uh, instead of the milestone cards, everyone has a uh, laminated sheet of the milestones. And with dry erase markers, you can circle the ones that you've gotten and X out the ones that other people have gotten and uh it gives you a real quick view of what you have and, and what's still out there to claim. Um, and those two things really, really cut down on the, uh, the amount of table space uh, that you need and, and uh, can get this game played on smaller tables, which in a New York apartment, a small table is all <laughs> I've got. So That's just a fact of life uh, in New York. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thanks for that tip. Yeah, I saw the accordion thing at the BGG store, but um, where is the laminated thing? Is that also at the BGG store, or oh, is that it's, somewhere else? It's one package. I think I think it's thirteen dollars, thirteen fifty, and it it includes the accordion and the five laminated. Uh, they're laminated, but they're also very very thick, so they're not they're not at all flexible. They're it's very sturdy. It's it's really really nice stuff. Very nice, very nice. Well, thanks for that. I, I wasn't aware that that was part of the package, and that sounds definitely like a good idea uh, for people who are looking to play the game. I think there's also an intimidation factor sometimes when all those cards are laid out. You know, I know the first time I laid it, I was like, oh my God, you know, what am I? I you know, there's so many things here for me to look at, right? Um, you know, one of the things that we started doing um, is we just started stacking the cards basically by their tech tree, if you want to think of it that way. So, we kind of put the cards together um, that sort of uh, go together, right? Um, and they're basically, a lot of them are almost color-coded, you know, like your mm-hmm. green cards and whatnot. And because you have that wonderful little uh, tech tree on the inside of your menu, which is your player aid, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, all right, I've got this guy and I want to upgrade to that one. That's going to be in this stack of cards. And you just pick up the stack and you just kind of rifle through and uh, find the card you want pull it out. Uh, and I found that that saves an awful lot of table space once you're familiar with the game. And I don't need to visually see the advancement like from this card to this card to this card like i I, i'm comfortable enough with the player aid that i can do that so uh that's something that i know i've done that i think uh could be helpful too uh in case you can't get a hold of that uh, accordion style thing that will's talking about there so uh those uh are are just some ways that you can try to tame the beast a little bit yes will yeah absolutely well you know listen i want to thank you uh for reaching out um, and asking, you know, if we could talk about this game. I, I know you were a little worried. You're like, well, it's kind of new. You know, can we do a long view? And it's like, well, sure. If you've got enough experience with the game, it doesn't matter whether the game is one year old, 10 years old, 20 years old. makes no difference. It's really about uh, getting a chance to talk with someone like yourself who's played the game quite a bit and who has insights into the gameplay, the strategy, the ideas behind the game, and can speak about them. And you certainly have uh, accomplished that here today. So I want to thank you for agreeing to be on the show, Will. Absolutely. It was, uh, it was my pleasure. 
Well, uh, for Lloyd and myself, I want to say uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening. And if you were interested in Food Chain Magnates, uh, you know, shoot an email off to Velma at uh, games at gamesurplus.com or check out the fantastic online implementation to see if it's right for you before you invest your money um, and see if it's something that uh, connects with you in the same way that it connected for us. So uh, for uh, uh, Will Beckley and uh, Lloyd Keller and myself, I want to say thanks to everybody out there for listening. And have a great night.